Hey, it's John from CityCast. If you're in the mood to pamper yourself a little bit this week while supporting cruelty-free products, you should check out Bone Cur Home and Wellness. It's the best place in Portland to find everything from chic home decor to cannabis accessories. They've got a curated collection of vegan and cruelty-free home goods and wellness products because their name is French for kind heart, after all. You'll get a 20% discount on your first order when you sign up for emails this week at boncoeur.net. That's B-O-N-C-O-E-U-R.net. And use the code BONCOEURCITYCAST20. Today on CityCast Portland, we're looking into the very real possibility of a public passenger ferry operating on the Willamette River. Now, the proposed plan says it would significantly reduce traffic congestion and greenhouse gas emissions. And Susan Blodholm, the founder and president of Friends of Frog Ferry, the organization that's working hard to make this all a reality, says that most major river and coastal cities already have functioning ferry systems built into their public transportation. So this isn't anything groundbreaking. But how much is it going to cost? Where is this money coming from? And does Portland really need a ferry? Susan is ready to answer all of our questions. It's Tuesday, June 13th. I'm Claudia Meza, and this is what Portland's talking about. Susan, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Absolutely. Thank you for inviting me. Could you lay out your vision? Like, why does Portland need a ferry system? We all love Portland. Um, Portland is so beautiful. It's our river city. But unfortunately, we have so many people loving Portland that we have more cars, more congestion, and it's contributing to worsening air quality. And for major river cities around the world, it's simply a best practice to have electric ferries to help offset the congestion on our roadways. That makes sense. Like, what would that look like? So for us, we put together a little plan about six years ago, working with PBOT, Metro, and TriMet, and they outlined 10 different stops between Vancouver, Washington, all the way down to Oregon City, where they felt there was the greatest demand and also where there are already great connections to and from the river. Um, Seven of the 10 already have existing docks that could be built out. And of those 10, where we really saw the greatest need was definitely in the St. John's neighborhood and also down at River Place on the southwest um, corner of Portland. They said, we need connections here. Mm -hmm. So starting out in terms of what that would look like is having a pilot project with one vessel connecting from a dock at the base of the St. John's Bridge and Cathedral Park down to River Place. Um, However, the vision is to have all 10 of those stops and seven different ferries. So why focus on the St. John's first? Like, why start there? Yeah, so there are many things going on there. Um, For one, they have very limited transit options. They don't have an option for light rail 
going through there. They're really hemmed in to the west by the Willamette River. You also have the fuel tanks that are there, and so there's great concerns there in the event of a major emergency. You also have that gorgeous St. John's Bridge. However, it gets very congested during rush hour. You have so many commuters using that bridge if they're coming from North Portland or even Vancouver to commute, for instance, over to Intel or Nike. And then you've got I-5 off to the east. So arguably, the St. John's neighborhood has the worst air quality in the entire state of Oregon. No! Yeah. (laughs) I live here. I live in St. John's. I've been trying to be an undercover St. John's agent by not adding more to what you're saying, but I didn't know that. And that really bums me out, Susan. I don't like that. I like to breathe. Yeah. Actually, your own Senator Frederick, when I first started meeting with him five to six years ago, he said bronchitis and asthma are at much higher levels in that area, unfortunately. And then from an emergency response perspective, needing to have a a way for first responders to get to and from the shoreline there, particularly in the event um, that bridge goes down. And and I'm not someone that likes to really... um, kind of capitalize on fear. Um, I prefer to come at things from a position of let's be prepared and from a position of confidence. Um, But it's simply a best practice. And um, for this community, you've got 87% of your your fellow residents there are commuting by single occupancy vehicle. Mm -mm. Right now, it takes over an hour by transit to go six miles to the downtown core. It does. By ferry, it will take 25 minutes. Yeah. You know, I'm always trying to get my friends to move to St. John's and depending, of course, if they have a car or not, they're just like, I would love to move there, but then I would be stuck there because I don't have a car. And I don't know if I could ride my bike every single day. I need to go anywhere, you know, outside of St. John's. And I'm like, I understand that. Um, So I'm sure a lot of people like transportation enthusiasts are listening and they're just like, a ferry, cool, but why not invest the same money and let's say buses or other forms of transportation, you know, electric buses. Why do you think a ferry would be superior to other options to lessening congestion? Well, I'm not one to say it's an either or. I will tell you that solely focusing on roads is not a good strategy either. And Mm -hmm. honestly, just from a planning perspective, our transit uh, leaders say, we really know roads. We do it really well. It's why we exist as a nonprofit is because our public transit agencies said, we don't know anything about ferries. We don't have the capacity to learn about them. And so that's why we got started. There, there's not mm-hmm. another nonprofit that's out there starting public transit modes <laughs> out there, particularly a, a major service like ferries. It's just there's such a need. This is simply a best practice. And so we said, we'll partner with you public agencies to help this get started. And I do just want to just piggyback on what you said, Susan, for anyone listening. It has been estimated that almost all, if not all, the bridges would probably go down in a major earthquake because most of them are not retrofitted to hold an eight or a nine. Is that what you've heard, Susan? Because that's why I have a kayak. (laughs) (laughs) Which is smart. Um, The estimates I hear are 10 out of the 12 bridges will go down. Mm -hmm. Now, I've been in emergency response. I worked for a global helicopter company that specialized in that. And you never know. Um, Mother Nature plays all kinds of tricks. It's impossible to forecast, but there's a strong probability that we won't have use of 10 out of 12 of our bridges. Yeah. So 
That's one argument which I strongly agree with. The other is just that fairies are really awesome and they're super fun. And the thought, just the thought of that one day I could take a ferry from where I live, four-minute walk to cathedral, take my bike, go downtown and just ride. I mean, it it makes me so incredibly happy, Susan. But I know there's a lot of naysayers out there because like they see fairies as something like fancy or unnecessary because they're so much fun and they're beautiful. They think it's almost like, did you ever see that Simpson episode where the guy comes in and he tries to sell the city the monorail and is just like, it is the wave of the future, the monorail. And they have a whole singing number around it. And then he ends up leaving with all the money. Ah. And I feel like there's a lot of people that have this, like, who are you? Why do you want to give us a ferry? But what I'm hearing is that there's actual investment from the city. There's partnerships. Could you explain that a little bit more? Sure. Well, there are a couple different questions in that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, again, we're a nonprofit. We're largely run by volunteers. If PBOT or TriMet or another agency wanted to come and take this over, we'd say, here, here's the keys to the castle. <laughs> you, you guys take this on. There's no money to be made in public mm-hmm. transit, first of all. Um, yes, I believe Portland deserves nice things again. Um, it's just the joy of it and being out on the water. And oh my gosh, there's a blue heron flying overhead. And it's not like a once in you know, a, a million kind of experience. I mean, it's just there are those kinds of moments when you ha- you're out there. And most of us have never experienced being on the water in Portland. I, I'm born and raised here. I, had, I wasn't raised with a boat or a family that went out on the water a lot. And in terms of, hey, who are you guys with Frog Ferry and, and why are you doing this? Um, again, river cities around the world have ferries and electric ferries. We're just playing catch up. And are they really fancy and all? No, it's equivalent to putting a bus, a floating bus on the water. Staten Island has a ferry. It's not fancy. It's just function. <laughs> yeah. I also wanted to say uh, Portland has had ferries. It, this isn't like a new concept for, for Portland. Most people don't know this because most of us see if you're on the water, it means you have money. Yeah. That's what the river now represents to us. Is like, oh, one day maybe I'll have a boat and I'll get to enjoy the river. And the thought of like, no, you, anyone can just get on this river and use it for what it's, you know, what you can use it for, which is travel. People can't think above that. Like, but I can't afford that. So that means the city can't afford that because that just, it's too extravagant. But the city had ferries. It had functioning ferries. And then guess what took over? Cars. And roads, and that's where the money went. But could we also specify who else a ferry system like this would serve? Actually, our business model is based on it being for commuters. So that's why we we focused on Cathedral Park. It's for those commuters and particularly those going down to OHSU. We, you know, it's just a, a good model to say where are the larger employers. And OHSU is one of the largest. And, you know, I have folks that say to me, oh, gosh, now with COVID, no one's commuting into work. Guess what? In healthcare, they certainly are. 700 are every day, Monday through Friday, commuting out of the North Peninsula to go down to OHSU. And OHSU conducted their own survey of their own employees. And 78% of them said, we'd love to take a ferry. (gasps) That makes me so happy. And OHSU is saying, great, if we don't have to build another parking garage. I mean, you know, and so it's interesting, Claudia, because I kind of think haters are going to hate. 
Haters are going to hate. I mean, we're practical people. We're realistic people. This is not a pipe dream of just saying, oh, wouldn't this be fun? I mean, we are devoting our life's work to trying to make Portland better. We think everybody should be able to go out on their own river and be able to afford it. That river system should be accessible to all of us. All right, let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, what all of this is going to cost. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. So let's talk money. How much would this cost to run? Okay, I'm going to answer in two different ways, just to be crystal clear. So when it comes to transit, you've got your infrastructure costs. So that's the cost for your docks and for the boat. And then you have your operating funds. So usually when people say, how much does it cost? They're talking about ticket cost. And we're saying it's $350 a ticket each way, but there would be a monthly pass. Um, In terms of the cost for overall infrastructure for the project and operating it for a year, it's $11 million. $11 million. And so that, about half of that is for the boat. And um, one boat? One boat, one 70 passenger boat. And then that's running six days a week, 14 hours a day. So that's moving conservatively about 680 people a day. So of that $11 million, that's, again, for three years, that's building out infrastructure, and that's a year of operations. How many docks for, for the $11 million? Is that the initial just? The, the two. So okay. using one of the three docks there at Cathedral Park and using the existing River Place dock. For the docks, we're talking 100000 mm. $150,000. we are not talking millions of dollars. We're not talking billions of dollars. From a transit perspective, these are tiny, tiny, tiny amounts of money. It sounds like a lot to you and me, but it's really not when it comes to transit. When we're looking at so many of the big mega transportation projects in Oregon, we're talking B billions. So 11 million is a very small amount. Then from the operational costs, your largest variables there are going to be crewing and fuel. And where do you think the funding will come from? So we, to date, we've had foundations and individuals that have been generous to us, but really looking forward, we want to go after the Federal Transportation Administration Passenger Ferry Grant Program. It's an annual program. It's actually open right now. It opens up annually. There's $50 million in the program. We want to ask for about five to six of it. Um, And the way the program works 
it is an 80-20 match. 80% comes from the feds. You come up with a 20% match. Oh my gosh. Let's talk about electric boats compared to electric buses, because that's another thing. People were like, well, you know, you could switch out the buses to electric. What is the, the cost of an electric boat, ferry-wise, compared to an electric bus? So I would suggest that people take a look at the boat that we have on our website. It's for 70 passengers, and it's approximately $5 million. And how much is an electric bus, you think? The last I saw, it's about double that. And and you would need to check with TriMet on that. But the last I heard, it was about 10 to $11 million. So I'm hearing financially it's cheaper to set up a ferry system than it is to create a new bus route. Significantly. And it's way more fun. <laughs> That's what people say. I hope people are hearing this because I've been trying so hard just to be like, Susan, these are the hard facts and I need some some answers. But really, I just want to be like, Susan, oh my God, how cool would it be if we had a ferry? Tell me everything. <laughs> is we have haters or people that are just like, this will never happen and this is stupid or it costs too much money or all the bridges are going to have to be raised and it's going to impede all the traffic. And it's like, it's just not based on any truth. We got to get out of this mode of just saying we can't do it based on no rationale and just Mm -hmm. because we want to hate on Portland. I just, as a Portlander, that's just not serving any of us very well. Let's be part of finding solutions. So how soon do you see a ferry system like this becoming a reality for Portlanders? Now that you got just really excited about it. Um, If I had to predict and put money on it, I would say a boat on the water in 2026. That's three years. I'll still be alive. I'm very excited about that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, hopefully. (laughs) I mean, a miracle could happen. We could get this grant in. I'm meeting with city commissioners here in the next couple of weeks, but they're going to have to really move quickly. We're, we're willing to do 99% of the work, but as a nonprofit, we cannot directly apply for public funds. We have to work with them. So they've got to come on board. You know, we're ready, but we can't perform miracles. Please let us know if there's anything we could ever do to help. If you want to come back, if there's ever an update, just let us know. I would absolutely love that. We're hoping to do a river run down there for um, the community residents in late August. We've got a grant application in for that. So we'd love to get you out there on the water and take a look at some of those peregrine falcon nests. You don't have to ask me twice, Susan. Okay, (laughs) deal. Thank you. Thank you. And now for your microdose of news. If you're watching for downtown Portland's comeback, the economic signals are mixed. Hotel bookings are up since last year, but office vacancies are also up. And it's clear that less people are parking downtown because transactions at parking meters are down 41%. So what does this all mean? Mm. And the Portland Ritz-Carlton has an opening date. Condo sales can begin closing on August 15th. The city and the building's developer have also finally reached an official deal that no affordable housing will be part of that project. Now the developer has to pay a penalty of $7.76 million by December 31st. And who saw that coming? Everyone. For even more local news and events, sign up for our daily newsletter, Hey Portland. We'll throw a link in the show notes. That's all for today here on CityCast Portland. If you enjoyed the show, why not share it with a friend, rate, or leave us a review? We'll be back tomorrow morning with more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slim's.